today on Mother Mayhem. These conversations are really painful, and they're personal, and not everyone is up for having them. And sometimes that means we're grieving the inability to have that conversation. Sometimes it means we're setting a boundary around it. Often, though, we're just all trying to find our way and our truth while living in that incredibly messy middle that we sometimes find ourselves in. Welcome back, everyone, to Mother Mayhem, the Narcissistic Abuse Recovery Podcast for Daughters. Hi, I'm your host, Heather Gray. Thanks to a listener question from one very brave and vulnerable Debbie, I am tackling an issue a lot of you have probably been wondering by now. And that question is, what now? Now that you know your mom is narcissistic or has narcissistic tendencies, or is otherwise emotionally limited, what do you do now? How do you have a relationship with your mom? How do you set boundaries going forward? Debbie asks a bunch of family questions too in her email, and I tackled all of them. It's going to be a little bit of a long episode, so do settle in. And as we talk together, I just want to offer another gentle reminder that as we have this conversation, conversations like this, they bring up all kinds of feelings and reactions for you, the listener. And I'm not always going to know what conversation spurs on which reactions or feelings for you or what points that I make will be harder for you to hear than other points. So I really need you to do a gut check with yourself. And I want you not just now, but throughout this episode or any episode you listen to me in the future, I want you to remind yourself that even though I might go on and on about a point, you don't have to listen in any one particular sitting. You can slow these conversations down for yourself. You can take a break. You always get to say when. You always get to say where. And you always get to say, stop. If you need to, you can always remember to ground yourself, to calm your body and regulate yourself a little bit before continuing. Today or right now just might not be the right time for this episode, and that really is okay. So Debbie asked a bunch of questions, and I'm going to cover them all. But Debbie, I'm actually going to start with where you ended. Because I think the answers to your final questions are really going to serve as a frame for how I explain all of your other questions. So first, Debbie, let me say this. You need to know that I'm so glad for all of the thought and care you put into these questions and for your vulnerability in asking them. I know they're on the minds of other listeners as well. And because you spoke up, other women listening are going to be able to get some help too. So thank you so much for showing up in my inbox with this conversation. Debbie asks this, how do I navigate my relationship with my mother now that I'm an adult? How do I not revert back into old habits? How can I show respect and love while setting boundaries with her? How do I not have resentment towards her for all of the past hurt she has and will inevitably cause me in the future? I want to start by reminding you, Debbie, 
that this is something you get to decide for yourself, whether or not you actually want to have a relationship with your mom. I have talked about no contact before on the show, and you've heard me say that it isn't for everyone and that it absolutely is a personal choice. Reminding yourself that your relationship with your mom is your choice. You don't owe her a relationship. You're not obligated to be in a relationship with her. Whether or not you have a relationship with your mom is entirely up to you. This is the main way you were going to end up keeping your peace, by reminding yourself that this is your choice. You're not her victim. This is not something that's happening to you anymore. This is your choice. You know who your mom is. You know what she's capable of, what she's not capable of, and you know her limits in being able to be in a relationship with you. Knowing everything you know and everything you've learned so far, this means that you re-choose to have a relationship with your mom. You might want to stay connected to her because it doesn't feel like she's all that bad. You might want to stay connected because it feels incongruent to who you are to go no contact. It, It doesn't feel true to you to be someone who goes no contact. You might decide to stay connected because you want a connection with her in whatever limited way she's capable of having one. So that means that you re-choose it. Now that you're starting to do this work, now that you're making these connections, do you still want a relationship with your mom? Now that you know that her struggles have a name and that this is something that she can't quite help, do you choose to remain in contact with her? Do you want to remain in contact with her? Having a renewed relationship with your mom is going to mean adjusting your expectations. You can't expect her not to act in this emotionally limiting or narcissistic way. She's incapable of that. So given what she is capable of, how would you want to have a relationship with her? You may, for example, focus on activities versus things that require talking. You might adjust what you share with her or what you talk about. You might decrease the length of time you spend with her. You might end up creating this list of topics that are off limits for yourself. Basically, what we're doing here is helping you decide that you are going to work to have a relationship with her by rechoosing it and also operating under the conditions that are most likely to set it up for success. And we're defining success by what works for you and what feels good for you and what you're able to tolerate. Now, I have to be clear, I say that so simply and directly, but doing that always or often is going to come with a side of grief and sadness. But once we accept someone's limits and we move within those parameters, we set the interactions and relationships up for far more success. If you're aware of the parameters under which a relationship with your mom is going to work, you set the boundaries accordingly. What are your boundaries with your mom? Under which conditions are you willing to have a relationship with her? And if you're unclear about that, 
go back a little bit to my needs identification exercise that I walked you through in a previous episode. I think it was episode five when we talked about boundaries. I'm going to link it for you as well in the show notes for today. But you want to get clear on what your boundaries are going to be and what your response might be if your boundary gets crossed again. Most likely, oftentimes for a lot of the women I work with, this is an internal boundary that you're just going to keep to yourself and you're going to uphold it for yourself when it happens. You might not need to set the boundary out loud or say it out loud. You might just know that if she's disrespectful, you're going to end the meeting. An example of this might be if you know that she just becomes more offensive the more she drinks. So you're going to quietly know that once she's had her first glass of wine, you're seeing yourself out and you're ending the gathering. You might know or observe that she becomes more opinionated the more you talk about your kids. So you're going to keep conversations about your kids off limits. I'm not sure where your mom steps out of line, but I'm sure you can think about what you need to do to be different or talk about different things in a way that keeps you connected while keeping you safe from the more hot button issues that your mom might be bringing to the table. You ask a little bit about slipping back into old habits, and I hear you on this because we really do get ingrained in these patterns of behavior. And I've called them out on the show and we've talked about them But it doesn't mean that it's so easy just because you know it and you name it that like when your mom becomes critical, you become small. It'd be so great if we could just say it out loud, have light dawn over Marblehead and suddenly stop playing small when your mom becomes critical. But it just doesn't work like that. And you are so right to be checking in about slipping into old habits. And I have to be honest that this is where self-awareness is really, really good. I'm a big fan of the prevent defense in a way. So you want to take some time to really reflect before you go back to your mom, before you re-engage with your mom. Once you have said, this is who my mom is. This is the way she moves through the world. This is the kind of relationship I want to have with her going forward now that I know everything. You want to spend some time thinking about how you have been participating in that relationship with your mom. And what are the things that you might need to change because ways you have participated before have stopped feeling good for you? You might be tired, for example, of acquiescing and of just going along with whatever she says. You might find yourself in the past that you've avoided fights or you've avoided conflict or disagreeing with her, and you might find that no longer works with her. You might notice about yourself that you're tired of keeping your mouth shut when she's critical because it feels like giving her permission to keep being critical. Whatever part of you that shows up in a way that you're not happy with and that you want to change, you want to make note of that. And it might be something like, when my mom criticizes my parenting, I'm going to ask her to stop and I'm going to let her know that I would rather her not comment on how I'm raising my kids. You might have a few of those examples, but each day you're reminding yourself, I am no longer willing to hear parenting advice that I didn't ask for from my mother. You are reiterating that for yourself as if you were quitting anything. 
because you aren't just quitting this behavior when you're seeing your mom. You're quitting this anytime someone acts towards you or your family in a way that's unacceptable. And you want to be affirming for yourself the things that you're working on and the things that you're no longer tolerating and the things that you're no longer welcoming into your life so that when they pop up in the company of your mother, you're more attuned to A, notice them right away, and B, be prompted to the promise you made yourself. Self-awareness isn't just ahead of time or in the moment. It's also a really good idea, Debbie, that after you see her, you want to do a check-in with yourself. Was I consistent with my boundaries? Did I interrupt the pattern of behavior that wasn't working for me anymore? Was there anything that I let slide that I really wish in hindsight I hadn't let it slide? We're always going to be works in progress, but if we start working on sticking to the promises we make to ourselves by reminding ourselves of what it feels like when a boundary gets crossed and we don't say something, because when that happens, that's our conscience talking. And saying that we moved left or right of our own center and that we need to realign and that we need to readjust next time will affirm for us who we want to be, how we want to move through the world, and what we're willing to tolerate in the future. You asked, too, Debbie, about showing her love and respect. And it's important in this conversation that you remember that you were deciding for yourself what measurement or benchmark for loving and respecting your mom is. You were holding that measuring stick by how much you were willing to give, share, or support. You're deciding how you love her and you are making the decision by knowing your own limits. She may never think you love her enough or that you're doing enough or that you're showing her enough appreciation. So you're thinking about what loving your mom looks like for you, and that is the standard you're holding yourself to. Letting go of the resentment, you asked about that, and I have to tell you, that's pretty hard. And I think we do that by working on acceptance. And as soon as I say the word acceptance, women I'm working with sometimes can be so quickly offended by that notion. So let's get something clear right away for you and everyone listening. I am not suggesting that any of you have to ever say ever that it is okay that your mom hurt you, failed you, or traumatized you in the ways that she did. That is simply never going to be okay. Okay sort of implies permission sometimes, as if given the opportunity you would have given permission to your mom to be the way she is. Rather, instead of thinking about it like that, I want you to think about working on accepting that she is the way she is, that she has this diagnosis, or she has this emotional limitation, or she has this struggle. So as a result of her own biology, her own genetics, her history, she failed to have a healthy relationship with herself. She developed an unhealthy sense of self. And with poor self-esteem, she's only learned how to have relationships in this broken and dysfunctional way. 
This means that we're accepting that this is true about her, and we're working to acknowledge that given her limitations, you're going to adapt, and we accept that her limitations are true, and we work on ways of living with it. And also, though, Debbie, like we give ourselves permission to grieve and be sad that this is true for you, that this is your story, and that you weren't born to a mom who had her shit together and that you deserved better. You give yourself permission to be sad about that so you can work with what you do have with her. It's wise of you to know, too, that by choosing to stay connected with her, she's going to hurt you again. And when that happens, you're going to do the same process I walked you through at the beginning. You are going to re-choose whether or not you still want to have a relationship with her. So now that you know her history with you, and then this new thing that she might have done happens, do you still want a relationship with her? Or has your mind changed? You get back in the driver's seat by deciding for yourself whether or not you're continuing to choose to stay connected. Now, this is big and it's complicated. In some ways in this conversation, I may have oversimplified it just for the sake of the show. But I want you to know that all of this work is work that takes time and thoughtful consideration. You have to get your reps in with all of this. Get used to thinking about your mom in this way and get used to thinking about your own relationship with your mom in this way. It's a lot, but there are a lot of women who are listening to this and they're in it with you too. Now we're going to tackle some of your other questions. You asked, how does narcissism affect the other relationships in the family between parents, the mother, and their sons? Here's the thing. When it comes to mothers and the sons, I think it's fair to say that a lot of the experiences are going to be similar. But sons may interpret the experiences differently. They might internalize them differently. That means for them, they might create different narratives about themselves or their relationships with your mom than you did for yourself. And they may respond differently behaviorally. So your brothers, just like all of you, may have experienced your mom as exacting or critical with these impossible-to-meet standards. They may also feel like your mom was a little bit overly enmeshed in their lives, like they never were able to get away or have any privacy. Very likely, your brothers were neglected and emotionally manipulated just as much as you were. But remember what I've said before about narcissists. They aren't just narcissists with you. They're narcissists with everyone. However, narcissists, they do like to triangulate. They do tend to assign these roles to people in their orbit. So this is another way they're emotionally manipulative. One of you may have been the scapegoat and the other may have been the golden child. And if you're being revered or you're being demoralized by your mom, that is going to have an impact on your emotional well-being. And if your mom changed her mind about you and sometimes she idolized you while other times she demeaned you, that's going to be its own fair share of heart too. And that would be true for your brother as well. What's important to remember here in this conversation is all of this 
is childhood trauma. All of this is abuse. Even making someone the golden child is abusive and causes early childhood trauma. It's confusing to be the golden child, and it can come with a lot of pressure, and it comes with a fair amount of guilt for a lot of the golden children. It's scary to defend your siblings if you're fearing that you're going to get backlash or emotional punishment. And then while being revered instead of hated, you know, might sound good in theory or sound super promising, it's really just the other side of the same narcissistic coin. Both daughters and sons are likely going to be suffering from some sort of role identity confusion or some sense of self or how they move through the world because they've been gaslit by their mom to move through the world in a certain way or to think about how they move through the world in a certain way or to think about who they are in the world. So often narcissistic moms assign that to their kids and will assign that role or that expectation, that story or that narrative. When you're raised by a narcissistic or emotionally limited mom, your own emotional development is going to get impacted. Your feelings aren't going to be seen as normal. They're not encouraged. Your mom now, she may have seen your feelings as this extension of herself. If you were smiling, for example, in front of a birthday cake, she would make note that she made that cake, that she picked it out, and that she wanted it to be special. And she may have made a big honking deal that she was doing it for you, when in actuality, she was doing it for her so other people would have an opinion about her. Now, on the flip side, if you're angry or disappointed or disgruntled, she may have little to no tolerance for those kinds of feelings as they like are going to end up reflecting poorly on her. So what ends up happening is your mad, sad, and scared feelings weren't allowed. They were weaponized and they weren't tolerated. Having worked with both adult sons and adult daughters of narcissists, I think the problem may be the same, but sometimes it really could look differently. For example, Women, they might internalize this. Women might have more experience of heightened anxiety, if you will. They're more prone to people-pleasing or emotional dysregulation. Men, though, they're going to struggle with these same things, but they, in response, might numb out. They might tune out. They might disconnect. And I think it's pretty fair to say that both daughters and sons experience significant anxiety and body dysregulation. Women are more likely sometimes to perseverate, to sit and spin, to overanalyze, where men are more likely to shut down. And both men and women regularly report to me that they struggle with feeling distracted, that they're always finding themselves scanning for a threat or a risk. And women may turn inward with this, and they might make themselves small, whereas men might act out, get into these random conflicts, present with irritability, or sometimes have a short fuse themselves. I have to be honest, I, I hate the gender discussion. Oh my gosh, I hate it so much. In another life, I worked at this media company called The Good Men Project, and I was the editor for them. And I wrote dozens and dozens of articles 
challenging these male stereotypes and tendencies in relationships. And I really don't like using the generalizations here. So it's really important for me to say not all men, not all women. Everyone responds differently. And while I'm hesitant to bring these generalizations into the conversation, I do want to highlight the observations in case you might see yourselves in them. I want to help you make sense to yourselves. It's a key point in narcissistic recovery, right? Is It's getting you to know yourself, to understand yourself, to accept yourself, and to start to rewrite that narrative. And in order to do that, sometimes I do have to say some men do this and some women do that. And I want you, Debbie, as well as all the other women listening in on this conversation, to remember what we talked about in episode four. Intimacy and personal relationships are really hard for adult daughters of narcissistic moms. It isn't any easier for sons, but because they often haven't learned to connect or even to themselves sometimes, They might connect by doing things, by numbing out or denying an emotional experience, and they may lean on more transactional relationships with empty sex or strip clubs, whereas women, they might tend to isolate, choose to be alone, or avoid any kind of connection, platonic or otherwise. Now, Debbie, you go on to ask, what is the best way to tell my sisters about what I've learned? Should I even try if they are still in denial? Whew, okay. This is a really good question, and I'm really glad to have the opportunity to explore this conversation with you. First, I want to say, when you think about talking about your experience of your mom in general, I think that's really tricky. Someone just wrote to me recently and told me that the podcast was like this fire hose for her, and everything was clicking and making so much sense to her so fast. And it's so tempting in those moments to tell everyone because all these lights are going off. You're making all these connections. And of course you want to share. And of course you get this moment to say, this is my truth. This is happening to me. This is my story. And if this is already an ongoing conversation with your sisters, you can say something like, can you believe what mom just did or guess the latest with mom? And it makes sense. You might want to share that with your sisters. But in your question here, you're noticing and acknowledging that your sisters aren't experiencing your mom in the same way that you are. And that might be because you've been scapegoated and they've been the revered and worshipped ones. It might be because you've become the squeaky wheel of the family that says the hard things out loud and they have come to cope by shutting down or shutting up. And if you all haven't openly acknowledged with one another that your mom has some issues, you're going to really want to tread lightly here because it's likely that they have some defense mechanisms in place and that their brains are protecting them from connecting to truths that they may not be ready to accept yet. And it's also likely that if your sisters are in any form of denial, they might fear getting on your mom's wrong side by angering her or triggering her. And they may have decided to stick with the devil they know, to stay in their own lane, to keep their head down. And they may be in real deep fear of conflict with your mom about disrupting the apple cart. And this one's hard to say, Debbie, 
but acknowledging it might also make it true, but your sisters might be benefiting from your mom's manipulations on the surface. She might be loaning them money. She might be giving them gifts. She might be offering them opportunities. Your mom's actions or inactions are not going to be about how she feels about any of you. Your mom's actions or inactions are always going to be about how she wants you all to feel about her. So she might be trying to triangulate you or create divisiveness, and your mom might thrive off of keeping all of you separate from each other. And she's likely going to do this in these subtle ways, so it might not even be denial for your sisters. They just may not yet connect to what they are feeling and experiencing about your mom. And remember what we said recently about covertly narcissistic moms. Those mothers in particular, their machinations are really subtle. So you might experience your mom as having a shift in energy. You might notice that there's nothing you can see or overtly point out, but you can feel it. Your sisters might not be able to feel it. So I would tread really carefully and lightly in talking to your sisters about any of this. You're also going to want to feel more steadfast and solid in your own truth. Because if your sisters have in some way become extensions of your mom, they might act like her soldiers and tell her what you've said. And you need to prepare yourself for that. Narcissists are only predictable and they're wildly unpredictable ways. So you have to make sure you're taking care of yourself first. And then if you do feel ready, something you might want to consider saying is something like this. You might say to one of your sisters, I've been having a hard time lately. I noticed that I am X, Y, or Z. And this is where you would describe your struggles or experiences and then you might continue on by adding, and I've started to make some connections to all of this. I didn't really realize that all of this has a name, but I think mom might be narcissistic. I started listening to this podcast that talked about it, and she said something like A, B, and C. And I realized that that sounded a lot like mom and how I felt being raised by her. And I've been struggling with D, E, and F my entire adult life, and I didn't really get it. But pieces are starting to come together. And I'm learning that we all experience these things so differently. So this might not feel true for you, but it feels true for me. So I thought I would share. Now, Debbie, if they push back, if they mock you, if they question you, if they judge you, don't push the issue. I would just say, again, yeah, you're right. I know that we all experience these things differently. It's okay that we didn't have the same experience. I just thought I would share mine. If they continue to push or they continue to meet you with overt resistance, that's when I would get a hard stop on the conversation and protect yourself. And I would just say, I get it. Not true for you, still true for me, but let's not hash this out. I don't want to tell you that your experience isn't true, and I would hate for you to do that to me. These conversations are really painful, and they're personal, and not everyone is up for having them. And sometimes that means we're grieving the inability to have that conversation. 
Sometimes it means we're setting a boundary around it. Often, though, we're just all trying to find our way and our truth while living in that incredibly messy middle that we sometimes find ourselves in. Gosh, Debbie, your questions are not for the faint of heart here. Your next question is really very brave, too. I have so much respect for you asking it. Debbie asks, how does trauma affect people through generations? And how can I stop the cycle? Okay, so Debbie first. (laughs) Generational trauma is most certainly a thing, and you are already curbing it by increasing your awareness of its existence, by paying attention to your own actions and committing to not passing down that dysfunction. That's already going to do a lot to curb the effects of generational trauma. But the quote is true, too. Those who don't pay attention to history are doomed to repeat it. So here's the Cliff Notes version of generational trauma and what it can sometimes look like in families. The way our stories affect us will affect how we raise our kids, but oftentimes it can go in either direction. If our moms were really fearful and scared, We might internalize that and we might become fearful ourselves and pass that on to our kids. Or we might experience that constant agitation and make a commitment that our kids are never going to be raised that way. And we might reactively swing that pendulum in the exact opposite direction in this misaligned attempt to overcompensate. So what we're doing when we're talking about generational trauma here is we're essentially talking about how the emotional and psychological wounds of our upbringing are passed down to our kids and others in the younger generations. We might be talking about behaviors, patterns in how we act, emotional struggles, or coping mechanisms. And the best way to interrupt the generational pattern is with your own work and your own healing. When you start to rewrite your narrative, when you start to learn to calm your own body and learn to love and accept yourself, you are learning to help your kids do that for themselves as well. You also want to focus on your truth and what you wish your mom did for you, and you work to implement those values into your own life. So if your home felt wildly unpredictable, you might want to focus on order, consistency, and structure. It's likely that you're going to take a while to find your balance with that. You might be tempted to go all or nothing, but with practice, I do think you can find your own sense of what works for you in your own harmony. You might find, for example, that you value clear communication about your feelings or acceptance of your feelings. So you might find that you work with your kids on learning to name their feelings and identify ways of coping with them. Finding that balance is often the hardest thing for some of my clients. So you're going to want to check in with yourself regularly about how you're feeling, what you think you might need, how you want to move through the world. And then you check in with yourself about how you're doing, what feels good, what's working, what isn't. And then you adjust accordingly. And this last part of it, it's the hardest, is you have to give careful and thoughtful consideration to how much or if any contact your kids are going to have with your mom. 
narcissistic moms tend to weaponize their relationships with their grandkids. Narcissistic grandmothers, they may make (laughs) their grandchildren all golden grandchildren. They may make those kids their confidants. She might share inappropriate information with them. She might pit them against you. There's just no telling how your mom is going to be with your kids. There's a whole host of ways that she may work to manipulate them or to pull their strings. But I got to be honest with you, it's really my observation that narcissistic moms tend to use grandkids as a way to manipulate you, the daughter. So even if it looks like your mom is playing nice with your kids, she might be triangulating, manipulating, or splitting your kids. So you really do want to use caution. One of the biggest heartbreaks I see with the women that I help is when they see their mothers be better to their kids than their mothers were to them. And that isn't because their mothers suddenly got better and suddenly stopped becoming narcissistic because they became grandmothers. Treating the grandkids better than the daughter is just another way that your mom pulls on your strings. And so you just really, this is hard to say, guys, but I have to tell you, you just have to use caution. And you might feel badly about the idea of taking them away from their grandmother. And you might fear that they'll end up choosing their grandmother over you. But you have to remember what I said. Even being treated as the golden child can be felt and experienced as abuse. And if you fear that your kids are going to be used against you or manipulated, you're going to want to work on setting the boundaries that prevent that from happening. The most important thing you can do here is learn how your mom's behavior has affected you so that you can gain the collection of coping skills that you have available to you and at the ready so you are comfortable using them. This is going to help you with your communication so you can communicate transparently, and then you're going to be able to teach your kids how to do the same thing. All of this will help you increase your comfort level with intimacy, nurturance, and receiving nurturance. Remember what I've said, narcissistic personality disorder is like a relationship disorder. A narcissist, by definition, can't do relationships. So by teaching your kids how to safely connect and join with healthy people who respect that and respect them, you're going to go a long ways towards healing that generational trauma. Now, Debbie... (laughs) (laughs) your letter. It keeps going. And I am in it with you until the very end. You say and share, I would like to see more specific exercises each week to practice what is being taught. I love the grounding techniques because I was taught what they were, why they were important in my recovery, and then I was given specific ways to practice them. I particularly like the one when you walked us through grounding on the floor to model how the exercise is actually done I would love similar experiences with each of the topics discussed. Thank you for sharing your knowledge. I look forward to listening to more episodes and learning more on my healing journey. 
Okay, Debbie, I will be doing my best to do right by you in this. And I think that the best thing I can do today is actually to just include a link to all of the material that I have created for the show so far. These are some of the things that I have used in earlier episodes. At some point down the line, I'm going to collate them in some way or, or organize them into a larger document for you. Right now, I'm working to actually get all of these documents onto my website. So it's like a one-stop shop to see everything I've created all in one place. But one of the things that you're going to see is my slow and steady strategies document. And it's my hope that this is a document in particular as we continue the show that is going to stay living and breathing. And I am going to be adding to it as I think, as I talk about skills or include other skills. And that will hopefully be something that we continue to all work on together. Debbie, thank you so much for taking what I'm doing so seriously to take what you're doing so seriously. The thought you put into these questions really is going to help a lot of women. I really, truly believe that. You are managing a lot and you're considering a lot and you have a whole community of women who are in this with you. Thank you so very much for joining me today. Thank you, all of you. We have another Q&A next week and woo, that one's a doozy too. Next week, we're hearing from our very own Golden Girls. I told you I like pop culture. So Dorothy, Blanche, and Rose, please tell me I am not the only one who finds comfort in watching old episodes of the Golden Girls. I've got three listener questions from women whose fathers have enabled their narcissistic mothers, who have taken their mom's side and have further ostracized them from the family, and this only compounds the trauma that they're managing. And I know that this is a trauma and a story that a lot of you listening along with are also all too familiar with. So it's my hope that I'm going to be offering these women insight, perspective, and direction for healing. I hope that you really are all starting to see that you're truly all in this together, and I am in it with you. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Debbie. And I will be talking to all of you next time. Bye for now. I'm so grateful that you're here. You're right where you're supposed to be. At its heart, I'm hoping to use this show to build the community of women working together to heal from childhoods marked by maternal narcissism and emotional neglect. My goal for Mother Mayhem is that this show becomes an advice and mentoring-driven show where you share your questions, struggles, and stories, and I offer you direction for healing and recovery. That can't happen without your contributions. I invite you to send a recorded voice memo or write in an email with your questions and things you're struggling with. You can always find me over at heather at daughtersnpd.com. To connect further, I invite you to find me over at Instagram and occasionally on TikTok at DaughtersNPD. If you know another woman who needs this conversation in her life, I'm going to ask that you share the show with her. You can help me get the word out with your reviews and social shares of the show, and I hope you'll consider doing so. Special thanks to Heather Clark for editing this show. She's in my head and knows what I meant to say when the words come out backwards. Thanks for your time today. I'm always in it with you. Bye for now.